You know, one of my, uh, I, I'm a reader. I like to read books. I'm, I'm always reading two, three, four books at a time. And, uh, well, I tell you, I am getting so much information, so much. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to just convey information here tonight. Uh, we just really want the Holy Spirit to quicken our, our lives and our minds um, on this subject. Because where we're going with it is is to equip believers so they know how to fight the good fight. Amen? How to, uh, all of us every day are involved with decisions in our life. We, we make decisions. We simple decisions, large decisions, complicated decisions, decisions that involve uh, serious crossroads in our life. And uh, we may not realize how much the spirit world has an impact in those decisions. Uh, you know, uh, right now my wife and I, we're, we're walking through this lifestyle change. And uh, I'm even realizing that uh, even what you eat, how you treat your body, is a very spiritual matter. Uh, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize things, but but uh, it's amazing when you begin to start to get healthy, how things in your mind get clear. Energy comes back. And it just blows me away how, uh, you know, food can become a stronghold. You know, uh, it, it can become a stronghold. It can become, obviously, like anything, an addiction. There's more than to talk about addictions. We, <clears throat> we're talking about something tonight. I, I, re- remember when I said to you how strongholds in a very simplistic way comes into us, to us, in the form of a seed. It comes in a very small seed. The influence of our parents, the influence of friends and family around us, teachers, pastors, leaders, where we grew up, how we grew up. Seeds are planted, thoughts, influences. Then we realize that not all strongholds are visible. The enemy is, Jesus referred to Satan in John 8 as the father of liars. It's the first time we ever see in Scripture where Jesus was talking to the religious sect who was denying Jesus as the Messiah. And he says, you come. He says, I come to give you life. But the very one you honor, which is Abraham, testified of me. And he says, uh, I am of my father because I do come to do his will. But you, and he says this, Jesus says this to the religious sect. He says, but you are of your father, the devil. So he, Jesus identifies satanic Satan himself as a father. You know what a father is? Father begets children. Fathers reproduce after. When Jesus, he didn't say he's your friend. He didn't say he's just a another religious guru or something. Jesus calls Satan a father of liars, but he says your, your father is the father, Satan, the father, because he seeks to murder or kill me. And so, uh, and it's, it, it was such an assault against the religious sect in that day. And when Jesus, when Jesus spoke into a problem, and this is what I'm, I'm hoping when we're dealing with strongholds that we're not looking at people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're looking at the spirit or the influence that is behind the thought, the thinking, the, the persuasion. Because Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen. Jesus said, John 10, 10, I come, what? That you might have life. And you can always, Jesus said, you can always know the tree by its what? Its fruit. Jesus said, and and by the way, that is calling something. Now, hang on, batten your seatbelts. That is calling something into judgment. 
Now I know in our Christian circles today, who are you to judge? Judge not lest he be Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. That doesn't mean, now what, what, when, when we usually think of judging, and I've said this so many times, many times we think of judging as being condescending and calling someone and slandering and putting them down or isolating them or putting them in a box and say, you know, you're such an idiot, uh, I reject you. We, we usually think the word judge, we think that we put people in a box and we throw them away. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus actually told his disciples to judge righteous judgment. In other words, for instance, I've had my pastor, I've had uh, 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 some of the closest men, women in my life have judged me. Now, not in a condescending, not in a rejecting way. I, I remember one time, the true story, I was in a leadership meeting one time and I had one of my apostolic leaders come up to me and say this, Ray, I really appreciated what you had to say tonight, but you, you talk too much. What, what do you mean? You tend to dominate the conversation tonight and let other pastors speak. Well, you know what I said? Well, no one else was talking. Maybe it's because you're talking too much. And you know what? That was a revelation. I talk too much. Well, no one else is talking. Well, maybe it takes others a little longer. Now, I could have said, oh, man, how dare you? Who are you to judge? I could have done that. But I knew the man's heart. I knew his spirit. I knew he loved me. I knew he cared about me. And you know what? How many of you have ever heard in Proverbs where it says, iron sharpeneth iron? Now, I'm not saying that talking too much was a stronghold in my life. But I remember that particular evening, I had some things I wanted to share. They were just bubbling in my spirit. Well, my apostolic leader wasn't impressed. And so when he spoke to me, now you know what my tendency for the rest of the conference did? I did something. I reacted. You know what I did? I shut up. The pendulum went from one extreme to the other. Well, fine. I'll just shut up, sit in the background. I won't say nothing. Now I begin to realize, because the same leader comes up to me at the end of the conference and says, Rick, you must have been offended. Oh, no. Lie. Lie. No, 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 no. I, 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 I heard you loud and clear. He says, I didn't tell you to shut down. I just asked you to let others share. By the way, just to let everybody know, if, if you don't, pastors do tend to be blabbermouths. I mean, we got the gift of gab. One of the reasons why we're up here is, uh, by the way, the gift of gab is not scriptural. I'm just telling you that we, we love to talk. That's that's a, it really is. I mean, now some, some can say more in less time and really go a long way where some guys say a lot and say nothing. But, but I remember my pastor just said, you know, you, you tend to monopolize. You know what he told me? It blew me away. He says, next time you're in a group of people, turn a little tiny tape recorder on and listen. Just, just drop a little tape recorder and listen to the entire conversation. Wow. Was that an eye-opener? I talked a lot instead of letting other people talk. Well, I, you know. And so what I'm saying is, here's my point. It was a stronghold. I, I, I got to speak up. I got to say something. I got I, I to gotta say something. No, no, sometimes silence is golden. It's okay for you not to talk. Now, I'm just letting you know that was not visible. That was not visible in my life. It took someone who was a leader, pastor, a man who I have great respect to this day, pointed something out. I could have ran with an offense. Oh, how dare him shut me down. I'm a man of God. I'm anointed. And he has the audacity to say I talk too much. I want to tell you, this problem, what I'm saying right here, how we handle problems, 
is rampant in churches across America. I can't tell you how many times I've run into people, yeah, I left my church because I was offended. I was hurt because I said something. I said, well, why don't you go back and, and work through it? No, no. No, they're not pastors. They're not leaders. They crossed me. They crossed me. I said, did Jesus ever cross his, your disciples? Well, are you telling me they're Jesus? No, but the Holy Spirit might be in them. Maybe there's a blind side. Maybe there's something that you don't see. Well, I don't need that. I don't need that. And that's so sad. Here's the thing. Like I said, you can change faces, change places, change churches, change jobs, change parties, change, 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 jump, 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 jump. God will take you right back to the beginning and have you go through it all over again. It's just the way it is. And he does that because he loves you. That's why you don't run. Now, I'm talking about strongholds. Strongholds is something that holds you. It's strong. It is so strong in your life that it may not be visible. It's planted in seed form. Maybe you were raised in a home, raised in a family, raised around a parent. And and so you grew up thinking, well, that's normal. Finally, you get into the real world and somebody says, you know, have you ever noticed that you monopolize a lot? How dare you? See, it's not normal. Here's, here's what's healthy. What is really healthy, Carol and I are learning this right now. You know, ever since we've started this lifestyle change, I was telling my wife this the other night in bed. I was in bed. I said, you know, Carol, I have never in my life said no to so many things during the day like I have since I started this change in my lifestyle. I'm constantly saying no. I'm saying no to soda pop, no to sugar, no to donuts, no to this, no to crackers, no to chips, no to uh, uh, what have we been? And I'm uh, here, here's here's a mir- miracle. I'm starting to lie like raw broccoli and carrots. Now, now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, what are you trying to say? See, breaking strongholds first of all, starts by recognizing you need help and you have a problem. Now, here's the second problem to that first point. Sometimes we, all, we don't always see what we're blind to. That's why God gives us a spouse. <laughs> or God gives us a pastor. God gives us a leader. God gives us a special friend. And we need to take heed to it. Now, not everybody, not everybody that addresses things in our life really love us. Not everybody does. I know that. There's some people that want to put you down and just to put you out because they they really don't like you. But here's a good test. When somebody comes and addresses something in your life, ask them these questions. Because it'll test to see whether or not that what they're saying to you is genuine. Ask them this first question. Why are you saying this to me? Number two. Have you been a part of my life long enough to love me enough to help me get through this? Number three, with criticism or correction, do they also encourage you? How many of you know it's easy to criticize everybody? But if they don't, if they're not encouraging you, chances are they're not really caring about you. But do they encourage me to? How many have ever heard the Oreo cookie approach? You start out with encouraging people, And then in the middle of the encouragement, you kind of slip in the correction. But then you come back with encouragement at the end. You're such an amazing man. I see such progress and fruit in your life. And you are, I am so privileged and blessed to have you. But in the middle, you kind of slipped in. By the way, you know what? You you talk a little bit too much. 
But you're, what you do have to say, when you do say, it's just such a blessing. Now, what, what, what the Holy Spirit and what a mature, a mature man or woman of God will do is they will always leave you encouraged. They will always leave you blessed, lifted up. They're not just saying, boy, you know what? Everything you had to say was boring. You know what? You will talk way too much. You're the most dominating, manipulating person I've ever met in my life. Well, by the way, Jesus loves you. No, no, you don't. You're not caring. Compassion, I do want to say this too. I've learned this as a pastor. Just because I'm a pastor, I have a title and ordained and all that, absolutely in this culture and climate means nothing. It really doesn't. People do not, they don't understand respect, honor, authority like they used to back in the day. But I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Today in this culture, you really don't have the right. People won't listen to you until you earn your way into their hearts. And so I, I've actually had some people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Ray, don't you know what's going on underneath your nose? Yeah. Well, then why won't you address it? Because I have not earned the right to speak into them. Yeah, but it's so blatant. I can't help it. It's not time. In fact, I may not even be the voice. Oh, that's an excuse. You're just trying to back off of your responsibilities. No, no, it's not an issue of that. I want to win them. I want to win people. But just because you have to, how many of you ever read in the Gospels where Jesus made this statement? He says, I have many things that I need to say to you, but you're not ready yet. Jesus could have blurted out and just said, here, I'm going to tell it to you anyway, even though you guys are dull of hearing. You can't hear anything. I mean, Jesus could have said in, in the wrong spirit, he says, I have many things to tell you, but you're not ready. By the way, the same thing goes in prophecy. Prophetic words, words of knowledge. Sometimes God gives me a word of knowledge, and God says, I'm telling you this, Ray, not to share it with them. A young prophet will get a word from God because he has the gift and go blabber everything he knows. A mature prophet will wait and they will always do this. Is it the right time? Is the person ready to receive it? Can it be conveyed in a way that brings life and encouragement and helps transform their mind from a spirit of poverty to a place of abundance? God can begin to help them see themselves as winners. That's what a true prophetic word of knowledge does. But when you're coming in, you might get a word from God. I, I hate to say this. My granddad, I have a grandfather in the assembly. He's with Jesus today. But he was out of the age back in the early charismatic days. And my granddad was a prophet. He worked in and had the gift of signs, wonders, miracles. But he had some strongholds in his life. And my granddad was a loner. He did not associate with other pastors and leaders. And the one thing he actually told me this, it's my, God has given me the prophetic mantle to come into churches and clean house. And I said, Grandpa, what do you mean by that? God, show, God showed me that I'm a prophet to expose the sin in the church. I said, well, how's that going for you? Well, nobody likes me. Well, let me ask you this. Is, where's compassion? Where's the mercy? Where's, where's the grace of God to empower people that are broken? I got no answer. I don't blame my granddad because my granddad was in a day who literally had the Lord speak to him while he was in a club one night. He was in some kind of a dance club or some kind of a bar. And he, he actually says this. The Lord came to him, spoke to him that he was to go outside into his car. And he went out to the car and he said, an angel spoke to him said, this is the beginning of a new life. And he gave his heart by himself to the Lord in the car. He goes in, he gets a hold of my grandmother, 
says, Phyllis, which was her name, Phyllis, you got to come outside. The Lord just spoke to me. Said, this, is, this is the end of this kind of life, and it's the beginning of a new life, and we're giving our hearts to Christ. And they both gave their hearts to, to the Lord that night out of some kind of a dance club or whatever it was. In those days, when people got saved, they went right into the ministry. There was no kind of mentoring. There was no training. My granddad got saved, got behind a pulpit, and tried to pastor people. That would be like taking a child, putting him up, and guess where that's going? It was a freight train heading for a wreck. My granddad went from church to church to church, and it was always the people's fault. Oh, God, give, I thought God brought me here, but it's the people. They're just bad people here and bad people there, and they're all bad over there, and they're bad here. And I said, Grandpa, what about you? I actually said that. You know what, you know what my dad and my mother and father actually told me? They said, when I'm dead and gone, I want you to put Ray Jr. out of the will. I don't want him in the will. Give everything to my brother Ron. Now, I, I wasn't trying to be confrontational with my granddad. And I really do love my granddad. He's with the Lord, I really believe he meant well, but he, he was not trained. He had areas of pride. He was unteachable. There was no, I, I honestly didn't see humility in his heart. And I said, Lord, I pray to God. I pray to God, if you ever put me in the ministry, I pray, Lord, first things first, put spiritual apostolic fathers in my life that I will not follow the path that my granddad did. It was horrible. By the way, folks, one of the tragic things today, I want to tell you right now, a, a lot of parishioners in local churches don't ask their pastors about their background. It is so important for you to know where we come from. You know what? I've only had one time in my life a teenage girl asked me. She came into our membership class. I've never had an adult ask me this. She says, who's your spiritual authority? Never ever had adults ask me that. Do you, how many of you believe out here that I should have spiritual authority? Most people don't ask that. They just, most people are attracted to the gift or the guy, the guy seems to be friendly or he, he really honors us. But it's important for you to know where we come from. You should ask, you should ask questions. By the way, do you know that you have the right to ask any question? Any question. Now, that's a fear of, well, I don't want to get too close. I don't want to. No, no, you need to. You need to ask questions. It's kind of like getting married, isn't it? I, I I I would shrink at the idea of getting married to a woman that I've only been on a couple dates with. That scared me to death. My wife and I, we, we knew each other for five years. We weren't always dating during that time, but we dated a long time until her dad asked us to split up. But we finally got to come back together and dated some more. But, man, we asked some serious questions, like, where are your goals? Do you have a call of God on your, you know, or not to be super spiritual, but the conversation was around the Lord because we knew that if Jesus wasn't in the picture... The chances of making it are really slim. Good preaching, Pastor Ryan. I didn't ask her about, well, what's your salary? Um, do you like fishing? Do you like bike riding? Those weren't even, a, I mean, those things are great. And, but was, is the Lord in the picture? I mean, we ask, well, I ask people, they ask these kind of questions. Do you believe in spanking your child? You know, I actually was in a counseling situation years ago that that split up an engagement because they were, it was a blended family. And one, I'm in this counseling session. And I said, uh, 
Who believes in discipline? The guy raised. I, I believe that. I believe in discipline. The woman said, <laughs> "To hell you do! You dare lay a hand on my child? I'll tell you. I'll take you to court." It ended the engagement right there in that meeting. But here's my point. No one during their dating even thought about asking the question. How are we going to discipline? Here's another one. When the guy's out on a date, does he or she even pray together? Who's the spiritual leader, the, the influence in the relationship? Serious questions. Well, we're we're friends. We you know we we go to church on Easter and Christmas. God help us. Why why are these things important? Here's the reason why we're talking about strongholds. Every single day of your life, there is a demonic assault and attack that is strategized from hell against every Christian. Every day, Satan's coming against you. And if you don't believe it, it's happening. Whether it's your marriage, your personal life, your family life, your finances, your health, every day there's an assault from hell against you. Now, if I was to make an announcement tonight, and I said, uh, Dwight, my wife just came in today and said that Kay called and your house is on fire. Uh, she's on her way to the hospital in an ambulance. How many of you believe Dwight's going to stay there? Let's finish the service first. Now, Dwight, I got to go. Pray, pray. Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of fires that are taking places in homes. Maybe not physical fires, but there are spiritual fires being lit. And we're still sitting in the house while the bedrooms and the houses and the rooms are burning down. And we don't take them serious. Do you see what I'm talking about? Are we all here tonight? I, I, I want you to understand. Well, oh, Pastor Ray, you're just, you're just preaching fear on us right now. You're just, just telling us that the devil's out to get us all. No, Jesus said, Satan, John 10, 10, Satan comes to kill steal, and destroy. Now, some of us would love to say, back off, back off, Jesus. Let's, let's put it this way. Satan comes to bother us, comes to just kind of make a little noise once in a while. Devil just comes to chuck a few snowballs at us. No, he's not chucking snowballs. He wants to rip you apart, destroy your marriage, take your kids. By the way, I want to tell you something. I just got a text from Elijah Eichold. I asked his permission to share this. What he is learning in school, a public school right now. I just talked to him before and I asked his permission, and you can ask him. He'll tell you even in deeper detail. He says, right now, Pastor Ray, because I asked him, how's school going for you in public school? He says, well, we're learning all about Sharia law. Now, I'm not here trying to condemn Muslims, and that's not, I believe we need to reach and show the grace and the love of God to Muslims, okay? I'm not against that. But I want you to know, this is what he said. We're learning about Sharia law, that in Islam, women have no rights. If a woman is raped by a man, a woman's voice means nothing. If the man who raped her says, I didn't rape her, the case is closed. In Islam, a woman never sits in the front seat. But if a man has a goat, a goat has the right to sit in the passenger seat while the women sitting in the back seat. It goes on and on. A man has the right to marry up to four women. A woman can only marry her husband. And if a woman is caught talking to another man or even a relative, she is punished with throgging. 
He sent me this on text. Now, why, why am I bringing this up? Is because this is what Elijah, feel free to talk to him. He says, he says we have a lot of liberal teachers in our school. And uh, I said, was there any reaction? You would think that even the feminist would have reacted with this. He says, they're just sitting there taking this all in. How many, would that bother any of you guys if your kids came home from public school treating women like this under Sharia law? By the way, if you have a daughter, especially a daughter, who marries a different race or ethnic group, because most Muslim marriages are prearranged and marries it, the father has the right to put a hit on their daughter and kill her. Because you don't like it as a parent. They're teaching this under our noses in our public schools. Now, I'm not suggesting tonight that we leave here and start this parade of anti-Muslim. That's not going to work either. That's the pendulum swinging to the opposite. I'm not sharing this to be reactionary. Because reaction never works. Reacting like that. But I want you to know that under the noses of Christians in America, while we go to work and we play golf and we do our thing, under our noses, our culture is changing and stripping the freedom and the liberty and the honor and respect that is due to every human being right out from under our feet. And it's being taught to our kids. That should be, that's why I, I said, Elijah, what, do, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, and he says, there's a small group of us conservatives, Christians, and we're, we're banding together, friend for our school. I said, you are doing an amazing, that's amazing. I congratulated him for, he says, I don't buy into that. Well, what I'm talking about is strongholds. Now, I want to go for the few minutes we've got. I want to talk about these, this glossary. Jump with me to Ephesians, would you? Um, in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And you, you know this text. It's very familiar. Finally, verse 10. I'm sorry, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the methods, the methodos. It means a trap, the traps of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh, blood, against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness, against the sage, against spiritual holes, but against spiritual holes of wickedness. Where? In heavenly, right here, heavenly place. This is the second heaven. Second heaven. There's three heavens we talked about. The first heaven is the natural universe. The second heaven has to do with the human heart, the soul of man. The second heaven is where we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. A heavenly place is a place that has been provided by the blood of Jesus. Also, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is a place of authority. It is a place where we rule with Christ on earth. It is a heavenly place. You have power through prayer. You have power. A heavenly place is a place where you have come into agreement with God by the way, but also there are demonic powers in the second heaven in heavenly places. What do I mean by that? When Paul says to put on the whole armor of God, what is he referring to? He's referring to an assault, an attack that is going to come against what? Where's the battle? My mind. The mind is made up of the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. Mind, will, and emotions. There are demonic forces that will come, and the only authority that Satan has The only power that Satan has against a believer is the ability to lie to you. He's the father of life. He does not possess you. He cannot hold you down unless you open a door and give him access. Satan and the powers of the demonic are always territorial. 
They, if, they, if they are given territory, let me tell you how you give Satan territory. You give him territory by coming into agreement with him. You come into, you come into agreement with him by having an offense against a brother or sister. I hate them. I'll never talk to them. You may not believe it, but by saying a word against another brother or sister, you have opened a door, a gate. And Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he comes to begin to plant, to surgically implant spirits. Seven times worse. That's why you can go into certain homes, certain churches, certain places, certain regions into the country, and they're under municipalities or principalities, rulers of darkness, in these heavenly places, and you can sense heaviness. You can sense a darkness in the home. You sense anger and agitation and irritation and and wrath, and there's walls all over the place. Why? Because there has been access given to demonic powers through your agreement by saying, I will not forgive. I will not talk to that person. I hate them. I... See, I can't do that. But when you say, you know what? I'm going to forgive and I'm going to love and I'm going to pray for my enemies. Every time I'm going to worship the Lord in the midst of this heavenly places, you know what you do? You bind the gates of hell and they have no force. You see, demonic powers have to be given access. They're given access by your thoughts. When you give your mind to certain ways of thinking, you open gates. Eventually, remember what we talked about, the third aspect about strongholds. First of all, everything starts in seed form. Secondly, they're not visible. Thirdly, they're progressive. Everyone say progressive. In other words... Everything comes in the form of a thought or an influence. It then begins to affect your emotions. Emotions begin to affect your desires. Desires begin to affect your behavior. It begins to move from your behavior to a lifestyle. Then it begins to affect deep convictions in your life where no one, The Bible refers to certain people in Romans chapter 1. The Bible says there are those who once, they once were enlightened by the knowledge of God and because they did not want to retain the knowledge of God in their conscience, neither became grateful or thankful, but were given over to the foolishness of their own wisdom. It says, wherefore God gave them over to a reprobate, mind. The word reprobate there is a word means trapped. It means incarcerated. It means there comes a point in a person's mind where you can't reach them anymore. Can't reach them. You can talk to him to your... Jesus sends the Holy Spirit all the time. The Holy Spirit's coming, coming. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. Open the door, open the door, open the door. Would you open the door? No, not going not gonna to open the door. See, that in a heavenly place, the Bible refers to in Hebrews chapter 3, you all know it today, verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, what? Do not harden. Why? Why would it say don't harden your heart? Because... Life is so full of some contradictions. The devil works with facts and he works with logic with you. And he works through your emotions. And if my emo- this is why Jesus said that unless you are baptized into his death, water baptism is bigger than just getting dunked in water. By the way, there's a lot of people been baptized in water, all I got was wet. If baptism doesn't ring a bell where you have become dead, what does that mean to be dead? You can't be raised. First of all, being dead means this. It doesn't mean, God doesn't want you to be physically dead. In fact, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Living sacrifice means that I am no longer allowing the lower Adamic nature of my emotions that are not sanctified, my feelings, 
My mind that used to be full of natural thinking and natural curses and natural memories and there's natural things that, the, that are in my mind, the way I was raised, the way I thought, the way my mother taught me, the way I, I was around and the way people treated me. I am no longer, I am no longer walking, living according to those ways. I am dead to it. Ray Galligan is dead to that. And by the way, the devil doesn't mind that you agree in your head. But when you speak and you come into agreement with the Lord's Word and His will for your life, Satan loses territory. He's territorial. By the way, one of the ways that you know the enemy has territory or God has territory in your life is that there is a persuasion there is an intuitive drive and desire and a love to follow the Lord or follow your old ways. We're all following something. No one's stationary. You're following. And so it's, it's so important. I said this last week. I said one of the most important things in growing in the knowledge of, of, of your spiritual health and well-being is I have to take inventory of my life. I have to take inventory of where I'm at. And a good question is this, is this, am I growing? Am I growing in God? You don't have to come under condemnation about that. You say, oh, well, I don't think I am. What does it mean to grow in God? Does that mean you're just giving yourself over to more works and more condemnation? No. Growing in God means that I'm falling in love with Jesus. I'm growing in Him. My response to people, instead of judgmental, critical, I have compassion for them. There's a desire to help and minister to people. You're a giver by nature. You want to give. You want to help. You want to bless you want, you, at times, you may even have to bring some correction, instruction, and righteousness. But you're ministering. You're, 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 not, you're not an ostrich with your head in the stand just closing your eyes. No. There, there's a very important thing here about this, this concept. But I could spend so much time on this concept of heavenly places. And the fourth thing about strongholds we've talked about in the past is demonic powers and forces are calculated and they're persistent. They don't quit until you're dead or destroyed. And, and anybody who thinks they can move forward in life without that understanding is, uh, well, they're ignorant. Because you, you, you need to understand that there's forces that are working constantly to destroy your faith, because when, if I can destroy your faith, then I robbed you of your anointing. If I can rob you of your anointing, then you're no good to anybody else. The devil can keep the church suppressed, oppressed, full of heaviness, under the powers of darkness, when you're just having this mindset, oh, I'm just <laughs> trying to get through the life. Oh, I'm just trying to make it through the next day. If I can just get through the next week. See, that tells me right there, that person has not been feeding on the grace and the goodness of God. The Bible says, Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says that we're to taste and see that the Lord is good. But you've got to eat. You've got to be feeding your faith. I ask people all the time, are you, are you in the Word? And I'm not talking about just memorizing Scriptures and going through the uh, year in the Bible or Bible in the year. No, are you feeding? Are you feeding on the life of Jesus? Are you feeding on His flesh, His blood? Are you feeding on His Word? Is His Word becoming rich? Because when it does, it starts changing your desires, your, your routines, your priorities change, your life changes. Let me tell you something. Your confession of faith is important. But there's a lot of people going around saying, well, hey, I confess Jesus, and the Bible says just confess Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. That's one part of it. You know, salvation is like a wedding day. I can come down here with my wife and say, <laughs> look at her. 
you know, pop and circumstance and all the flowers are in, and the music's flying and the birds are singing and the moon's out there. I love you, yes I do. Then I go out and I'm flirting with other women. I don't forgive. I got secrets in my life and I don't tell her. That's not a marriage. That's a scam. That's why it's so important to ask questions. How many here and what I'm saying out there? I mean, it's, 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 yeah, but pastor, it, it might offend. No, I would rather offend someone now than be accountable for their blood before the judgment seat of Christ while they're in hell because I was more worried about crossing lines and offending them. So I, I told Carol years ago when we came into the ministry, I said, you know, Carol, the call to the ministry is not a call to popularity. But neither is it a call to, to, to come out, like I said, like my granddad, and just reveal and expose everybody's sin either. But a call to the ministry, the Bible says, is to shepherd the flock, feed the flock, love God's people, help them know the way, the truth, and the life that is in Jesus. The goal is to be healthy. I want a healthy marriage. I want healthy people. I, my desire is that we become healthy, spirit, soul, and body. Amen? But, but I have to be willing to not put my head in the sand and just, I'll just, I'm just, I'm just hoping it all works out. I don't want to talk. I know we're not talking right now, but I'm just praying to God. Oh, God, just work things out. I want to say right now that prayer is important, but God also wants us to act. How many of you have ever read the Acts of the Apostles? Do you know what Acts is for? short for? Actions. It's the actions. Christianity was about actions. Not intentions. Not good intentions. But pastor, I have good intentions. Well, good intentions, there's a lot of people with great intentions and they're in hell. Well, Lord, I really meant to follow you, but I didn't. Good intentions mean nothing. And again, we're, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith through grace unto good works. So I, I need to, one of the things, I appreciate Bill Johnson saying this one time. Bill Johnson says, man, we bring our kids into the, the Bible school over there in Redding, California. He says, one of, the, one of the things we do the first year is we have to unlearn everything they've learned because many of them have grown up in churches and denominations and backgrounds where they've, they've not understood the foundations the right way. Now, unlearn. That's tough with us older folks sometimes. Maybe you've been brought up under legalism, brought up under a father that was mean. Maybe you were brought up... I ran into an individual who had a pastor that was corrupt, sleeping around. There was no integrity behind the pulpit. There's lies. He's living a lie. And now they don't know. I, we don't know if we want to join any church. I actually understand their problem. I understand that. I don't condemn them one bit. But I said one thing, that there's a, there is a little problem. You put your eyes on a man instead of the Lord. Every man in some way, shape, or form will fail you. They will disappoint. I will disappoint you. If many of you have been here long enough to know I've already disappointed somebody. Don't raise your hand on that, but I know I've disappointed you in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes God uses our human errors really to bring either the best or the worst out of you. Isn't it amazing that God anoints David in the Old Testament to be king, and then he puts him under assault? How many of you would probably leave that church? I would say, God, you anoint this young man, and you give him a mentor like Saul. How can the guy grow? How many of you know that just doesn't make sense? But yet it was in those 16 years that David grew under the worst of conditions. 
And yet we think, well, I want to find a man of God that's got it going on. I want to follow the cloud. Oh, I want to be in a place where it's just where heaven comes down. Sometimes God might put you in a place where there's a Saul and you're the David. And there's, remember the, the 600 men that came to David? It says they were the three kinds of men that became David's mighty men of valor. It's found in First Chronicles chapter 11 and 12. It says all, the, all those that were in debt, all of those that were in distress, and all of them that were exhausted, they joined themselves to David. How would you like to build a church with a group of people like that? In debt, distressed, and exhausted. But you know what David did? Instead of blaming and complaining, and, man, God, I'll tell you, you anointed me to be king under the prophet Samuel, and you put me in this horrible, wretched place where this guy is trying to kill me with his javelin. And you know what, God, if you're so good, why don't you give me the kingdom? But instead, David takes first 30 of them, then 300, then it grows to 600. And David begins to build hope, faith. And all of them become what he refers to later. They take Jerusalem under David's third anointing. They come in to Jerusalem. And these men become David's leaders of the armies of Israel's greatest. It, it was Israel's uh, greatest time. Actually, even to this very day, the Jews always look back at David when, when David came from nothing to becoming a super world power. Israel had become a world power in, of, of all the nations. But it started with these exhausted, distressed, in poverty, and he was able to help break these strongholds in their minds and say, you're not weak. You're not distressed. You're not unable. You're not just a victim. You, God's got His hand on me. God's got His hand on you. And I'm going to pour myself in. And David poured himself into these men, into these families, until these people, when Saul finally died, it was these 600 that begin to take Jerusalem it was the 600 that began to intercede and all of a sudden David began to go back to the law of Moses and he began to realize, wow, we're missing the most important part. You know, it's not just our strength, but we need the Ark of the Covenant. And they begin to seek the Lord concerning the Ark and they, they, they saw the Ark coming on an ox one day and, and Saul or David said, let's, let's take the Ark and let's put it uh, on, on an ox cart and the, you know the story how they were bringing it, rejoicing before the Lord, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And all of a sudden it says that it was man's cart. How many of you know God's not excited, not necessarily enthused about our methods? Well, David didn't seek the Lord about it. Out of his zeal and enthusiasm to see the Ark of God's presence returning to Jerusalem, the Bible says the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah, a man by the name of Uzzah, reached and he stabilized the ark from falling off the cart. The Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled and the oxen stumbled and Uzzah was struck dead. And the Bible says that David became angry at God. He said, Lord, why? Why did you let Uzzah die? In the next chapter... It says that when David inquired of the Lord, he found out, oh, guys, I realize now we weren't supposed to put the ark on a cart. The ark was to rest on the shoulders of the priests. The priests. Shoulders represent responsibility. And they were to carry the ark on the shoulders of the priests. And David said, Uzzah died because we did not seek the Lord after the due order. God has an order. And when he put the ark on the shoulders of the priests, there was rejoicing, 
the blessing of God. Israel was completely invincible. Nobody could defeat them. It was amazing. Here's my point. David sought the Lord. He'd walked through a lot of, he overcame a lot of personal strongholds, a lot of fears. He's running for his life. And God let Saul chase him. But you know what? God said, enough is enough. And when David had come to that place of maturity and growth, you know, the, to me, the beautiful thing about David's leadership in the Bible wasn't because he was a great warrior, a strategist, he was a great commander. But David learned something. And it's all through the book of Psalms. David learned how to worship in the face of adversity. He learned how to worship the Lord. He was a worshiper. His strong point was in the face of defeat, in the face of calamity, in the face of attack. David knew how to lift up his voice. And you'll find it. If you look, take a strong concordance and you look up these words, David said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills and I will cry out unto the Lord and I will worship him with my whole heart. And you know what happens when we worship? The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. It didn't say God inhabits the silence. It says God inhabits the praises. God wants you to open up. See, you, you want to break some strongholds in the atmosphere? Start worshiping the Lord. Sing a new song unto the Lord God. Right in your house. Right in your bathroom. Man, I sing sometimes in my shower. Oh Lord, it's going to be a great day. Even though I'm not eating any sugar right now, I still praise you, God. I miss those Twinkies and those donuts and Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, God. <sighs> Lord, I give you praise, but I'm getting healthy, Lord, because this body will glorify you with a healthy body in Jesus' name. You may think I'm, 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 not, I'm not really being funny. I think like that. Oh, Pastor Ray, that's mockery. No, it's not mockery. I am worshiping the Lord. I am blessing His name. I am blessing His name for who He is. I'm exalting the Lord. And every time I lift, the Bible says, to make a joyful noise, give the Lord a shout, a shabak of praise to Him. When you begin to do that, do you know that demons cover their ears? They hate it when a believer begins to worship. Because what you're doing, it says, let God arise and his enemies scatter. But you've got to let God. God's, God's waiting for, God, I'm looking for somebody to let me out of their mouth. Let me begin to worship. Begin to praise Him. Begin to bless His Holy You don't need a piano. You don't need worship music going. You can just praise Him right where you're at. You know one of the biggest things? Here's a stronghold. Self-consciousness. I don't want to lift my voice because people might be looking. Let them look. They might actually get set free. You might even be one of the ones that will liberate them. I can't believe... You see Sister Susan over there, she's just like going wild for Jesus. She's so in love, so passionate, just worshiping God, speaking in tongues. Maybe we ought to try that. I mean, maybe she's just having her own little personal revival. No, she's actually following what this says. Yeah, but Pastor, I'm just kind of shy by nature, and I'm just kind of timid, and I'm a quiet person. That's a stronghold. It's called the spirit of fear. Yeah, but I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I don't want to push anybody. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Well, guess what? When did the, the call to Christianity say, or ever say, or convey to us that we were to make people comfortable? And I'm not here. God is trying to get us out of a box. He is trying to transform our lives. I do believe that He wants to move in such 
demonstration and power. Uh, but how many of you were here last Sunday? Wasn't the worship amazing? Man, something, we went to a new level last Sunday. But something was really here. It was powerful. I mean, God moved by His Spirit. And, and, you, and you know what? Well, let me tell you something. The enemy also works to keep people out of the presence. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm done. Every time, last Sunday, my wife knows this, Saturday night, had a tough night, Saturday night, just some things going on. The last thing I wanted to do was be here on Sunday. I was wiped out. And guess what God does? He shows up right, and I, I begin to realize, wow, the enemy, you are amazing. You always, when God is moving, Satan will derail and distract and pull me off. That's his trick. He does it. But here's the thing. Sometimes as believers, we don't recognize that. We have an argument. We have, we have issues. We have problems. I understand we all have stuff. But what I'm trying to raise the level of our attention is to grasping the spiritual battles that are working against, working you on the side from behind, in front of you, where you begin to address the problem. Say, you know what? There's something bigger going on here. There's a, there's, there, there's a bigger lie going on here. And I'm not going to get into a fight with you, Carol. And Carol, no, we're not going to get... Carol, there's something bigger here than you and me. And it's a demonic power. It's a stronghold. And let's bind it now in Jesus' name. Can you imagine what would happen if people got that radical in their homes? Man, you'd see some things break. Well, pastor, that's kind of radical. That's what a spirit filled. How, how many of you think we need to be on fire? I'm not interested in having another meeting for the sake of having a meeting. I'm not interested in just meeting and wasting your time. If we're not going to higher levels where there's going to be bigger devils, then we are wasting time. My pastor, you're really... You're really pretty passionate about this, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I mean what I say. I believe that not only your generation, but the next generation and the next generation and the next generation after that is going to go higher than we are. I want my children, my grandchildren to go higher. But Carol and I are responsible for our generation and we have to be faithful as David was in his generation. We're breaking strongholds. We're breaking curses. We're breaking lies. We're not going to settle for the flesh. We're not going to settle for cheap excuses. We're not going to sit here and wallow in our pity. We're not going to cry in our soup. We're rising up and being the men and the women God called us to be. We're going to be leaders. We're going to be influencers. We're going to be history makers. We're going to rise up and declare blessing, strength, and power over our kids. If you don't do it, no one else will do it. If it's not coming out of your mouth in power and encouragement and compassion and life, no one else will do it because you have the the greatest influence over the time God has given. By the way, time is a gift. Oh, yeah, but pastor, I got soccer and I got schoolwork. Yeah, I know. Do the soccer. Do the homework. But don't forget, you are the major contributor and empower of your, your next generation. And the generation after that. And the generation after that. We're breaking strongholds right now in Jesus' name. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that no weapon formed against us will ever prosper. We pray right now in Jesus' name that the blood of Jesus will cover us, Lord, in such a redemptive way that our minds are redeemed, our lives are on track, our hearts are set aright, our minds are clear, our vision is clear. Father, we know right now that we stand in a place on higher ground. We stand in a place of your your, your favor and authority upon us. You've given authority to the church as the acts of the apostles. 
whether it's casting out demons, dealing with rebellion, dealing with the spirit of Jezebel, dealing with witchcraft, dealing with anything that would hinder, obstruct the power of the Holy Spirit from moving in and through our lives. Father, give us the boldness and the confidence with compassion, with care, with love to stand in the evil day. Help us to redeem the times in the evil day, for the days are evil. Lord, that doesn't mean we're victims, but it does mean there's a call. There's a responsibility. You have made me a man of God. You've given me, you've made me a woman of God. You've given me wisdom. And I can. I can do all things through Christ. I can rise and shine because my light has come. I can put on the whole armor. I, I can kick Satan out of my life and my house. I can do this. You've given us authority. We're not victims anymore. The strongholds in heavenly places, they're broken right now in Jesus' name. The spirit of fear, the spirit of rejection, the spirit of offense, broken in Jesus' name. We bind it we, and, and we release the life and the love of God. We release hope. We release forgiveness and mercy in every home, and every life, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Carol, what's, is it next week or the following week on water baptism? Is it next week? Okay, yeah, next week we're going to have a normal service with worship, but we have water baptism next week. We'll follow through on this the following week. All right, blessings.